So we're in this series called My Lips Will Praise, and uh, this is actually the last psalm that we're going to preach from this year. It's been, there's been a few. I've actually got a spreadsheet of like all the psalms. It's crazy. Um, so we've been preaching in the psalms this year. We're actually coming to an end of that now. And if you've been in this series, you'll know My Lips Will Praise. Simon kicked us off in Psalm 100. The revelation there was praise unlocks the presence of God. And last week, if you were here, Lorelei, she took us through Psalm 103. And the point there was we have 10,000 reasons to praise God, but we have to actively remember. Remember the deliverance of God. Remember His faithfulness. Remember the grace that was extended, and then our lips will praise. And so that's been what it's about. And hopefully one of the things that you've picked up is the power of praise to move our soul. I know that even the power of my voice as it relates to my son, Caleb, has power to move his soul. I don't understand how it works. Maybe other parents in the house understand this one. But if you sing to your child, magical things happen. And when I say magical things, I'm not talking about Hogwarts. I'm talking about like things happen to their soul that is really, really good. Since he was a... What happened? It's just the papers. Ah, oh, it's just the papers. Don't worry about it. The spirit was moving in this place. Uh, but even so, my son Caleb, from when he was a newborn, if he's upset and you can't find out why, just sing to him. It'll make it better. It'll make it better. One song that he loves more than any other is the Misty Mountains Cold from The Hobbit. That's his jam. Praise the name. Praise the name. It's a great, great song. For the, for the two of you that know it, you know it's a good song, man. It's a good song. So this is a song that suits him. But I, I've said to Law, I think there's something that cuts to the depths of a soul when the, the mom and dad that you knew before you were in the womb, you, while you were in the womb, before you were born, you knew their voice. There's something that moves to a soul level there. And I think it's a picture for us because when we praise God, it's not just voices and music. There's something supernatural that's happening when we lift up the name of Jesus. It's not just physical stuff. There's something that moves our soul and cuts to a spirit level even when we praise King Jesus. And I hope to expand on that in the sermon as we look at Psalm 96, which is a great psalm of worship, powerful. And so it's going to come up behind me. And psalms are meant to be collective songs. So I want you to lean in because this is us. We are declaring this as a people, just like we were singing now. We're declaring, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people, they worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. So splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. So ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord uh, the glory due to His name. Bring an offering, come into His courts. Verse 9 says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. So if you didn't catch it, the psalm is an invitation. Come, let's sing. Let's ascribe to God the glory to Jesus' name. Come, let's tell of how great He is. Come, let's worship the Lord. Come, let's glorify Him. And it's a summons and an invitation to us. And so we're going to be looking at it under these three headings. The King 
and his creation. Now, if you're taking notes, you know that you get points in heaven. So just say. <laughs> Heading number one, the king and his creation. Number two, the king and our song. And number three, the king and his cross. Um, and the reason why we keep saying the king is because this is an enthronement song. If you go and look those up, there's a bunch of psalms which have one agenda, which is just to proclaim the eternal kingship of our God. Great psalms for when you are going through a season that Alvira was prophesying about at the beginning of the gathering. That if you're in the middle of the storm, if you're in the presence of enemies, when things are going south, one thing and one revelation that will truly help us in that place is to declare who is the king of kings and how he's king over every circumstance, every nation, everything that's happening in your life, everything that's happening in South Africa is under the direct control of King Jesus. Enthronement Psalms are really good for the heart, really great for worship. Now, I know for us, we don't have a king, but if you cast your mind back, wherever a king goes, people bow down and they hail the king right? Shaka Zulu had that dynamic where they said Bayete. They were worshiping, hailing the king, but they only worshiped and ascribed glory in their domain and in their kingdom. But God, our God, King Jesus, his domain and his kingdom involves all the earth and everything that exists. And so everything that exists, exists to say all hail King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for punctuating that for an amen there. So that brings me to heading number one, the king and his creation. The king and his creation. There's something very unique about this psalm. If you go and you read it carefully, it's actually telling creation to come and teach the people of the earth how to worship. Watch this. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And then it goes on to telling the nations and how we know the earth isn't people is because it says in verse 11, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, semicolon. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult. When you lifted up your hands earlier, let the fields do this and everything in it. And all the trees of the forest shall, shall sing for joy, right? This is epic. This is all of creation called to worship the living God. The Bible always says continuously that nature is busy right now worshiping God. You might not have the voice to hear, but Psalm 66, be careful. I was just checking my notes aren't going flying. It says, all the earth, I don't know what it says, that went blue. It says, all the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. That's nature. It says in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So nature's worshiping the king of kings. They know who their king is and that his name is Jesus. There's not one particle or atom or molecule out there totally free, doing its own thing, living its own life and doing a YOLO. Every single particle and molecule is out there vibrating and moving according to what God has said. It's a worship matter for nature that at the moment right now, we can't hear it because we're up in the high felt, but the oceans are singing the bass of the choirs of earth and that the stars are singing soprano. We have some satellite dishes that can confirm the vibrations and the rhythm and the sound that the stars make. And as they are out there, never endingly 
proclaiming the glory of God. The heavens declare His handiwork. All the earth, including rocks, plants, blades of grass, it's all declaring Jesus is my king. Jesus is my king. That's the king and his creation. It worships him. And that's why we sang, it's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise. Everything that exists, exists because God made it. And also is owned by God himself. Abraham Kruiper, he was a prime minister in the Netherlands. He was also a Christian and a theologian. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole of creation over which Christ, who is the sovereign king over all, does not cry, mine. Every square inch of this earth belongs to the Lord God. And everything besides us recognizes he's my king. And all that they do, they do in worship to that king. So please log the fact that this world was not created by some accident that happened when some molecules collided with some molecules and out of nothing, suddenly there was something and it was chaos and it's just random. But rather, the fact is that nothing is random because God made everything by the work of His hands. That this world and all the galaxies that exist, exist because of the speech of God the Father through the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything that is, is by design. Even the rocks on the dark side of the moon, God knows their shape. He knows the density. He knows the elements of the periodic table that they're a part of. He knows everything exists because of Him, exists for Him, because God made everything for Him. The reason why there's existence is because God made for Him a choir worthy to worship Him. And everything worships him except for us which is humbling because it means that even a clam worships god more consistently than you do or i do and so this psalm says come on nature let's preach it to the people on the earth let's preach it because god is worthy of all praise he's worthy of all splendor let the glory go to god alone and so nature must preach to us that's why we um, sometimes sing this song my wife put together a slide for it. You guys will know the lyrics of this, that if the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. Don't you love it? If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. And if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. That's just the call to action from looking at how nature worships the living God. Let us take a leaf, that's a pun, out of their book and worship the living God. If they were made to worship and we know more about God than they do, our worship should exceed their worship. Our worship should be deeper and more profound than their worship. But the one thing that I aspire to is to be as consistent in my worship. That's my goal. Now, because we made for worship, do you know why you exist? It's to glorify God. And to enjoy Him forever. That's why you were made. You know how I said nothing in nature is an accident? Your life's not an accident. You were made by the express hand of the Creator of this world. And He knitted you together in your mother's womb. Your life is not an accident or mistake. It's dripping with purpose. The purpose to glorify God. Anyway, sidebar. We're returning here to think about the fact that 
everything worships God, but we sometimes don't. But God made us to be worshipers. So if we're not going to worship God, we're going to find a cheap replacement. That's why verse 5 says, For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So in those days, an idol was a little figure that represented a little god of that region. And they would carve it out and they would bow down to this little figurine. And that would get their worship and their reverence going. But in the New Testament, the idea of an idol goes, more, goes further than a little figure. It's anything that we treat in our life like a God that isn't a God is an idol. So everything that we give eternal significance to that's not eternal, everything that we treat as if it's God and it's not is an idol. So in Joburg, let's just go through some of the big idols, the false gods of this city. One of the biggest ones is Korea. That people treat their work and their career as if it's a God. Keeps you up at night. You obsess about it. You never stop thinking about the next rung in the ladder. That if you were to be demoted or fired, that it would be the end of the world for you because you put your identity and you put all of your being into your work and it means everything to you. If that's you today, can I just say, you might be here having lifted up your hands earlier on a Sunday in praise, but Monday to Saturday, you bow down to another God, and it's the God of your work and your career. Same thing with money. Joburg, city of gold. One of the things that has a grip on people's hearts in this city is that they worry about their finances, they think about their finances, they dream about their finances. If they had a genie rock up, one wish, first one, money. The one thing that they're happy about is when they got money. The one thing they're sad about is when they don't have money. Their life revolves around money. They've made money the thing that their life revolves around. They're invested the most in and therefore controls their life and is a God over them. Another humongous false god and idol in this city is comfort and leisure. If you think about people and how much they talk about, they just don't want to work another day in their life. They want everyone to serve them. They, want to, they live for weekends and holidays. They just want to spend their days chilling on the beach, doing absolutely nothing. People bring stuff. And if anyone was to bring any discomfort to their life, they're like, God, what are you doing up there? I thought that was, this was your job. I'm supposed to have comfort. What is, what is this all about? I think for my age group, a humongous idol is comfort and leisure. And another one that's common is relationships. When you take someone who's just imperfect, fickle, just like you are, and you make them the be all and the end all of your life, that you'd be lost without them, like a zillion soppy songs have said in the past. Sounds cute. You can make movies about it. But at the end of the day, when that person lets you down and they're your whole world, you will have nothing left and you'll be crushed. God doesn't want you to be crushed and hitch your heart to things that don't matter, that fade, and that are not going to last forever and they are not eternally significant. There might be other idols. I haven't, there's no way I could sit here and mention them all. But just to say, if you're not worshiping the living God, you will worship some cheap replacement. It's a, a true statement. And so da David Foster Wallace, he's not even a Christian, but he makes an, a profound statement. He says, we are all just dying to give ourselves to something. We are, because we are made to worship, it's in our inner being that we must invest our whole self somewhere. 
It's, we're not a scattered around people. We have to make something the object of our life and our worship. And if it's not God, it's going to be a cheap replacement. That's why John Calvin, he was a reformer and a theologian. He said that the human heart is an idol factory. Because if you don't make the living God the object of your worship, it'll be like a conveyor belt in a factory that just keeps pumping up one false God after another, and we will bow down to them. Find ourselves wasting our life on the conveyor belt of false gods. And so when we talk about this series of worship, please understand the motives punch a bit higher than us wanting to raise the volume in the atrium a bit when we sing songs. What's at stake is that we waste our life or we meet the mark of this is why we were made, to worship the living God. Praise is a matter that cuts to the identity of who we are. And so there's one huge distinction in this passage between false gods or idols and the living God. And it's in verse 6 and 7. It's the word glory. It says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And then in verse 8, it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to his name. Now that word kavod in the Hebrew, it means like a heavy weight. And as if you look up this in a Hebrew scholar like Derek Kidner, who I looked up, he'll tell you this, that everything in the world depends upon the existence of God. The reason why you're breathing is because God's alive and on the throne. Everything depends upon Him. Everything hitches their weight upon Him. And everything else is temporary and will fade. Your career, your money, your relationships, it's all going to be gone one day. And so everything else is like a puff of smoke. It's here today and it's gone. But only God remains forever. Only God stands unchanged. And only God actually has substance and weight to him because everything else is going away. So he has eternal weight. He has glory. He has kavod. This is the only one that has glory. And so we tend to ascribe glory to things that have no glory, like money, like career. These things will betray you. The only one that won't is the living God. He remains the same today, tomorrow, and forever. His promises never change. He's not a man that he should lie or change his mind. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the faithful one, faithful and true. He is the consistent. He is the one who has glory and weight and significance. And so the Verse 7 and verse 8 is saying, let's not get involved with these false gods. These things are worthless. They have eyes they don't see. They have ears they don't hear. They are pathetic. Let's ascribe glory to the only one who has glory. Let's ascribe glory to God. He's the one that's glorious. He deserves the glory. He deserves the praise. God bless you and all of your family. But here's the deal. It's not good enough for us in our heads to acknowledge this truth. Because can I tell you, the devil and the demons are aware. It doesn't make them special. We need to train our heart to make God the object of our affections. How do we do that training work? Well, I think heading two is helpful in that. The king and our song. The king and our song. You see, the scriptures are very clear that we need to sing. It says this in, in, in the slide on this, on this passage. Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. Tell of His name, tell of His name, worship Him, worship Him, worship Him. There's something in there where this importance that these Psalms are saying, I need your voice to sing 
about the glory of God. If our voices do not sing of the glory of God, our hearts will not believe that He is glorious to us. Our hearts will believe because our minds are informed by the truth and then we declare it with our, with our mouths and our body and our mind and our spirit is engaged with one truth and that truth, when we come into alignment and we sing it and we declare it, will conform our innermost being and our hearts will say, yes, God alone is glorious. Yes, he deserves the praise. Yes, he's the one that I'm going to give my life to. Because, the, again, what's at stake is not that you believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. That doesn't make you special. The demons and the devil know that. But the thing that they don't have is they don't love God. They don't relish God. God's bar of what he wants for your life is not that you know stuff about him. It's that you are ravished by him, that you relish him, that you adore him, that you love him, that you find him awesome, that you are like, oh, my heart desires as the deer pants for the water. That's how my soul longs for the living God. That's God's plan for your life. That's God's design for you. That's what he wants for you, that your heart would be ravished in love, full of desire to say, I just want to live for God alone. He deserves the praise. He deserves the honor. He deserves the glory. That's why there's supernatural power in praise. Because as we declare those things, our hearts become more in awe. Our minds become more desirous of Him. We get transfigured. You know, when we sing, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. As we declare that truth, His name becomes more beautiful to us than it was before. When we sing the words, you have no rival, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Our hearts cry, that's right. Nothing compares to you, Jesus. I want to give myself to you. When we declare those truths and we come into alignment, it changes our heart. When we sing, now and forever, God, you reign. Your heart says, yes, reign over my life, reign over South Africa, reign over Africa, reign over this world. You are the king. I want your glory to go forward. Nothing else matters. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Let it be so in my life. There's something that happens in our heart when we declare those truths, that if we didn't declare them in voice and song, we would be bankrupt spiritually because we're not following through with what Scripture has commanded. Please understand, when Scripture says something, it's not a great suggestion, it's a commandment. So when God says, don't commit murder, it's the same voice that says, sing songs to me. Psalm 47 says, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. It's one theme there. Uh, Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Here's the instruction again. Singing psalms and making melody to the Lord. Ephesians 5 picks up on that same thing. It says, address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord in your heart. Because when we do that, God goes from a principle of our brain to a passion in our heart. You understand that? That it conforms something from head knowledge right into the contours of our hearts. That he goes from a concept to the king of kings. That we train our heart to say, I'm worshiping the living God. Because there's supernatural power in praise. It really, really matters. So if you want to have a life with Jesus at the center, transformed, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, the one thing that you need at the, at the start is to worship Jesus with your voice. 
to actually worship the King of Kings with your voice. Because the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell wherever much is made of Jesus. When Jesus is lifted up, the Spirit falls in that place. And so us as a church, if you want us to be a church that is moved by the power of the Holy Spirit, then the first thing is the cornerstone is Jesus. That our lips will say, the precious blood of Jesus paid for my sins. That we will declare, what did we sing? That it is finished because of what Jesus did, that he bled and died for us on the cross. And that Jesus is the resurrected king. Every other king's dead in the ground, but there's one king who is reigning and ruling. He's King Jesus. That he's ascended. That means he is ruling and reigning from heaven at the right hand of the Father. Nothing's outside his control. God is God and we are not, but we worship him who is God. Jesus the King. And when we take this posture of worship, when we actually praise, there's something beautiful that happens in your heart. But can I just say, He has to be the King of your lips before He can be the King of your heart. He has to be the King of your lips if He's going to be the King of your heart. Because we need to do that work through praise. Or else Scripture would not be sing to the Lord, addressing psalms and hymns, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, there would be no connection between the two. So please understand, this isn't about like us trying to hype you to sing loud. This is about you actually living a life under the influence of the Holy Spirit, not under the influence of the world. If you want to live under the influence of the world, just turn on the radio and sing about uh, chicks and fame and fortune you'll be well under the influence of the world. But if you want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, sing about King Jesus. Sing about how worthy He is of worship. Right? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Our lips exist to praise the King of Kings. You know, St. Augustine, he was an early church dude. He said this, I perceive that our minds are more devoutly and earnestly in, elevated into a flame by holy words when they are sung than when they are not. I.e., when you sing these truths, there's some fire that gets lit in the belly of your soul right there. And so praise matters to a life dedicated to Jesus because a heart that bows down to Jesus in worship is not easily going to bow down to a false idol. We are often drinking from the toilet water instead of from the living waters of Jesus. Too much of the time we are digging in the gutter for food that was discarded because our bellies are empty. But if our bellies were full, we wouldn't go digging in the gutter. How full are, is your heart today of Jesus? And how do you intend to make it full? Can I tell you? It's a very direct application. Sing praises to King Jesus. Let your heart and your soul be so bowed to Him that you'll never bow down to false idols. You'll watch them pass and go, that's a pathetic replacement for my king. If we want to be a people that hitch our hearts to the glory of God, we're going to have to sing praise. And so that's why that point is what it is. Now, as we worship God, it's not a small God, a cute God. Look at verse 9. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. He's so terrifyingly awesome that we must bow down before Him, that we tremble before Him. Not because He's going to strike us at any minute, but because He's so awesome and full of splendor, that He's a holy God. He's the epitome, the absolute pinnacle of beauty. But He's not the pinnacle of cuteness. You can't box God into a cute little manageable bite-sized portion. 
The true and the living God causes us to tremble because He's holy. He's holy, holy, holy. He's awesome in splendor. And when we give Him that, that glory due to His name, it's not because He's short on glory. He's not going to say, ah, you weren't at church. Now my glory is running a bit short. I've got to implement glory shedding stage one. <laughs> it's not as though we worship God and tell Him He's glorious because He needs to know and you have the answers. But rather, we worship Him and tell Him He's glorious because we need to know. Our hearts need to be informed that He is glorious and that He is worthy of all praise. That's why we sing, worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Yet there's one thing that's amazing and surprising about the glory of God. And that is that He would express His glory in actually giving away His glory to come and die for the likes of us. That brings me to heading number three, the king and his cross. The king and his cross. There's a great verse in verse two. It says, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation day to day. Now they would have been thinking about the Exodus because that's the time that we find ourselves in right now. So they would have been thinking of that's the great salvation. But we know in the New Testament that we have a greater exodus than out of Egypt. It's the exodus from sin that Jesus accomplished. That there is a greater enemy that was defeated than Pharaoh in that first exodus. In the greater exodus, the devil was the one defeated. That in the first exodus, it was the blood of a lamb over a door that saved the firstborn from the death from death taking them. But in Jesus, in the greater Exodus, it's the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, which is not only for the oldest born, but for every man and woman who puts their faith in Him, are, their hearts are painted by the blood of Jesus. God, the angel of death didn't look who was inside the house to decide who deserves death. When they saw the blood, it was done. When you are covered by the blood of Jesus, it is finished. It is done. No, there's no judging as to the individual things. It is Jesus that matters. His record stands in your place. That's the exodus that we stand on right now. But as we think about the salvation of Jesus, we must think of it in terms of the cosmic king, the king of kings, because that's the context of our psalm. So let's do a little bit of thinking. Let's do a bit of theology here. Let's think. This is the God who is omnipotent. He has all power. He's the God who's omniscient. He is every om omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's not thinly spread like Rama. He is everywhere, strong, powerful, mighty, full of splendor and glory. In every square inch of the world, He is there. He knows it all. He's the eternal God. He has no beginning, has no end. He has no rival, has no equal. He's never depended on you. He never will. He never changes. He's the eternal one. And that's the God of glory, the God that even the molecules, rocks, and trees worship Him as King of kings. And yet, even though that's the King that we're talking about, He came down as the Word of God and was crucified as if He was nothing. I can never get my head around this, that this is how God would choose to express His glory, that the author came into the page, that the playwright came and took the stage. Philippians 2 says it this way, Christ Jesus, who though He was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God something that He would grasp or hold on to. 
Don't you find that a crazy thing? But instead he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. For me, this is crazy. This is a rescue like no other, like we often sing. All the other gods, he knew when he made us, he is not caught by surprise that we would give our lives to false gods, usurpers, pretenders, completely useless idols. But yet when he made us, he knew he had made a plan for us to be brought back to him so that we might declare his glory and his praises. This is the God that we worship. He's the king of glory. Yet what did he wear on that day? Well, we often sing about it in Man of Sorrows. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. Bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. And there the king of glory died. The one that everything, our breath is owed to him. And the people that he created on a piece of wood that he knew intimately that was there worshiping him, he was nailed and crucified there and died. The king of glory. Yet, as we know, the story doesn't end there. Death could not hold him. Every king is still under the ground to this day. Any king you idolize, any Caesar, they're there. Worms are enjoying them right now. But King Jesus is alive. He stood up from the grave. Death could not hold him. The veil torn before him. He silenced the boast of sin and grave. He's now risen. He is ascended into heaven. He is bestowed upon him the name that's above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There he rules in glory, in majesty. That head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. And so that is the greatest glory in the way that God would express His glory, becoming a servant, dying on a death, being raised, so that everyone would worship Him because of what He did. This is the express height of why we glory in God. This is why we get together on a Sunday, that as we revel in this fact and we delight in this fact, there's nothing else that can light our hearts aflame than what Jesus has done. It's the height. So we're going to worship now. Will you stand with me? We're going to put into practice what we've been preaching. I've been preaching. You've been preaching in response. We're going to put it into practice. We've got two amazing songs that are about Jesus and what he's done for us. Because of Christ and this amazing new song, it is finished. And what we're doing when we are raising our hands, I understand some of you are more of like a reserved person. Please understand, when we raise our hands, it's not because we're just hyped always. It's because we are dedicating ourselves to these words. Because we want these truths to be shaping our lives. Because we are ascribing these things are true. I want them to resound in my heart. And so if you're a hard heart right now, if you're a dry heart right now, doesn't matter where your heart's at right now. If these things are true, lift up your voice. Lift up your hands. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name. Because that's when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we can live a life that actually matters. Jesus loves you. He's the King of glory. He died for you. He deserves the praise. Every single drop of praise that you can give will never be enough to thank Him for just one act of mercy, what He did on the cross. 
So let's sing to him. Let's glorify him.